0: This podcast is intended for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. We understand many of our listeners may not agree with all of our viewpoints. However, we hope you can bear with us in order to hear unadulterated true crime cases. We are not licensed therapists, nor are we able to give legal advice by any means. Our show notes will provide all of our source material included for each episode. Now Now let's get get weird. weird. Okay, welcome back to another episode of All the Sins Worldwide. So I don't have Jess on this episode, but I want to welcome the host of Barbarous True Crime Podcast, AJ, all the way from Florida. (laughs) Um,
1: Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Hi.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I'm so happy to have you. Before we jump in, I do want to give you the opportunity to share your podcast and what got you into true crime.
1: Yeah, so my name is AJ, as Mim said. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction. Mm-hmm. Um, But so, yeah, my uh, podcast is also focused on true crime. It's called Barbarous True Crime. Um, we do have a website. It's called barbaroustruecrime.com Um, It's spelled B-A-R-B-A-R-O-U-S truecrime.com. Um And on there, we have our episodes, you can suggest and request cases, and then we're also taking guest speakers in. So, you know, if you're interested in that, definitely check that out. We also have our Instagram page, um, again, at Barbarous True Crime. So a little bit about me is I got into podcasting, I guess just like listening to other podcasts, I've always considered myself like really into true crime and I am a biomedical sciences college student and I have a minor in psychology. So I just think for me, one of the big things about true crime was like looking at the psychology aspect of true crime, like forensic psychology to look at, you know, the mind of what we see in these cases mm-hmm. um, that's something that definitely interests me and in the whole like realm of true crime you know what really fascinates me is like how we see in certain cases how people snap or do something that they normally wouldn't right. and just going into the psychology of it I think is something that's really interesting.
0: Yeah I, I love that that's what got you interested in doing this I feel like a lot of people Kind of go from that route. I have always been interested in it because I, I started listening to uh, my favorite murder, as many of us do, and then I got my paralegal degree, so I've been always in that the law field, and that just has sparked such an interest for me, and just getting justice for people, and just talking about people uh, in their cases that don't have the opportunity, like. People that are deceased don't have their voice anymore. And if I can be their voice in any way, I, it just makes my heart so warm. So I completely understand where you're coming from.
1: A big thing about definitely podcasting is getting the stories out there. Um, But I also think, I think for me, just like learning about the, about different cases and just diving deeper into, you know, different areas of crime and learning at looking at justice systems is definitely really interesting as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. So if you're ready, I am ready to dive into the Kehoe brothers. Let's get into
1: it. I'm excited.
0: Awesome. Okay. So as our sinners know, I recently covered the Israel Keys case and I mentioned the Kehoe brothers. So I'm going to issue a trigger warning. So there's going to be mention of murder in this and racism. So um, strap in. If you don't care to hear either one, um, I totally understand. So you can skip this one or maybe skip a little bit while I'm in the middle of that part. But I'm going to get started. So my sources are ATF, Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, Case Techs, the Alabama Democrat Gazette, and Homeschooling's Invisible Children, and of course, Wikipedia. <laughs> so let's talk about the Kehoe family. There was the father, Kirby Kehoe, and his wife, Gloria, and they had eight sons together. And today, we're going to be focusing on Chevy and Cheyenne Kehoe. So Chevy was the oldest of eight sons, and his younger brother, Cheyenne, was basically like his little minion. He did whatever he wanted him to do and just kind of followed in his footsteps. So this family, along with their close friends, Daniel Lewis Lee and Farron Lovelace, were devoted members of the Aryan People's Republic a white supremacist organization, along with having strong anti-government views. So just like two things that you really don't want to see happen, but unfortunately it happens more often than we think. Uh, Chevy then created his own racist organization called The Order. The point of this organization was a racial purity And it was so bad that Chevy at one point contemplated killing his own wife and children because he had suspicions that his wife's blood was tainted. And I'm saying that with air bunnies, with Native American blood, and therefore she was unpure, which then why would you have kids with her is my question.
1: Yeah. And that's just crazy. Like that line of thinking and like, I guess he just followed into the wrong footsteps but you can you can blame others other influences so much, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you took the initiative to create that group.
0: Yeah, for sure. So. Although being in that type of organization is not illegal, it's morally disgusting, but we know that this is a true crime podcast. So let's just talk about their life of crime. So going over their collective crimes timeline. That were conducted across five states on on February 12, 1995 in Tilly, Arkansas, a gun dealer by the name of William Mueller reported a home invasion in which masked men took $50,000 in guns, coins and equipment. A few months later, Chevy and Farron Lovelace were seen illegally selling the firearms that they stole. And on June 12, 1995, supermarket owners Malcolm and Jill Friedman were robbed and kidnapped by a man dressed in camouflage. And Malcolm was kidnapped but released unharmed near the Shadows Motel. I didn't see anything in regards to Jill, but I'm assuming she was okay since there wasn't a mention of her dying. So I'm going to think positive thoughts. It was later determined that the kidnapper and the robber was Farron Lovelace, and the drivers were Chevy and Kirby Kehoe. In August of 1995, Chevy put a hit out on a man named Jeremy Scott, and that murder was done in North Idaho. This was triggered after Chevy convinced Jeremy Scott's common-law wife to become his polygamous second wife. The murder of Jeremy Scott was later determined to have been executed by Farron Lovelace. So really just living their own laws, you know, they're just anarchists, in my opinion. They're just doing whatever they want to do. On September 20th, 1995, Farron Lovelace robbed Colville jeweler, wholesaler, and gun enthusiast Dick Morton of his gun collection during a home invasion. Dick Morton was kidnapped Per their M.O., he was forcibly driven to Spokane and forced to withdraw $480 from a bank machine before being released near the Shadows Motel. I don't know what their obsession with this motel is.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's giving it's giving shady vibes.
0: Yeah, it really is. But it didn't end there because on January 11th, 1996, a Chevy Kehoe and Daniel Lee decided to take their life of crime to a a new level. They robbed and mercilessly killed 52-year-old William Mueller, the federal firearms licensee that they previously robbed. Not only did they kill an innocent man, and here is where the trigger warning is going to come into play, they killed his wife and his eight-year-old daughter, Sarah. The brothers waited in the Mueller home and when they came home they were under a surprise attack and when they entered their home the brothers yelled out ATF raid so there was just a whole bunch of confusion on what was going on the brothers stated that William's survival instincts kicked in and that he fought like a son of a bee end quote and I'm like No shit, obviously you're in their home and he has a wife and a child. Obviously he's going to fight tooth and nail.
1: Yeah, and another thing is like, is their main goal just getting more like guns and firearms? Because that's what I'm getting from you so far.
0: Yeah, I think that's how they made a lot of their money. And also they kept a lot of it as well. Because, you know, ulterior master plans that we're going to discuss later... So, yeah, definitely something that they could flip on the street and something that they could use on their own. So then in order to subdue him, they slammed the stock of their shotgun to his head. The brothers turned their attention to Sarah, the eight-year-old child, and ordered her to tell them where her parents kept their valuables. Can you imagine what that poor girl was going through?
1: Yeah, that's crazy. I can't imagine.
0: So this is where it's going to get bad. They taped plastic bags over their heads and handcuffed them. And the worst part of it was that they tortured them with an electric cattle prod, which made them suffocate in the plastic bags that they were wrapped in. Then the brothers dumped their bodies in the Illinois Bayou near Russellville. So just not giving a fuck really of anybody and doesn't matter if they're, you know, a woman, a child, doesn't matter to them at all. That's
1: disgusting. Just like, so they just took, so the eight-year-olds and then someone else you said?
0: They took the mother, so Nancy Mueller, they took William Mueller, the father, who they previously stole from before, and then they took their child as well
1: and they all they tossed all three bodies into the river. Correct. Crazy.
0: Yeah. And because of the severity, the brutality and all of the different components of the crime, local, state and federal law enforcement agencies came together to investigate this case. A month later, Chevy brought or bought a trailer home that yes was paid for with the money that he got from selling the guns he stole from the Mueller family. That same month, a man named Travis Brake was arrested for being in possession of a Mueller gun. And then he, of course, spilled the beans on who sold it to them. So they're narrowing down on them just really quickly because they're being really stupid. They're just thinking there's going to be no consequences. So they're just immediately selling the guns. Obviously, they know that there has been a crime committed because... William had previously reported them being robbed, and now other people are showing up with these stolen guns.
1: Yeah, and also the way they disposed of the bodies, like, obviously they're going to be found, so yeah. you're not, you're you're leaving a very clear paper trail, in my opinion, so, yeah. I mean, it's clear that they didn't give a fuck of, what, like, what they were doing or if they were going to get caught. This case did occur, I, I think, in, like, the 1900s, right? Uh, The 1990s, yes. 1990s, yeah. So I guess DNA technology wasn't that developed as it is today. For sure. But I mean, they still could have, they left a very clear paper trail. So they clearly didn't care. No. So I think it was just a matter of time.
0: Yes, for sure. And they're so so anti government that they, I really do think, like you said, they just didn't care for what the law had to say because they didn't respect the law anyways. The group of racist, murderous degenerates weren't done yet, because on April 29th, 1996, a pipe bomb went off outside of Spokane City Hall. Remember, on top of all of their fucked up ideals, they were anti-government, like we just talked about. So they were attacking city officials as well. And it was later determined that Chevy, Kehoe, and Daniel Lee carried out the attack and were indicted for the crime. A month later, on June 28, 1996, a fisherman found the bodies of the Mueller family in the Bayou. Nancy Mueller's legs were found still bound with the zip ties, and her body was attached to a rock. Little baby angel Sarah's head was still in the plastic bag and her arms were crossed around the front of a rectangular rock attached to her. So they basically sunk them down. And on top of that, the duct tape fastened the rock to her small body. So they just made it very clear that they didn't want their bodies to be found. Then on August 18th, 1996, a heavily armed... Baron Lovelace is arrested after being lured from his home to Priest River, Idaho. He was lured by authorities under the guise that he was to assassinate a supposed Hispanic drug dealer recruiting young girls into prostitution. It was a, a cover in which The the investigators lured him out, he fell for it, and then he ended up leading authorities to Jeremy Scott's buried body, the man he had previously killed. So at this point, Chevy was afraid that he too would get caught because they had Farron, so he packed up his family and abandoned a stolen trailer home where they had been living in, in the National Forest in Idaho, Guess what was left behind in their trailer?
1: Was it another body?
0: No, not as bad, but they had recovered bomb making components, which meant that they were planning a major terroristic attack.
1: Oh, of course.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Chevy and his family headed to the Yawk, a river valley in the northwest Montana, where his parents were remotely living. Fast forward a few months on December 10th, 1996, after being arrested in possession of a Mueller rifle at a freeway rest stop in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, neo-Nazi skinhead Shawn Michael Haynes implicated Chevy in the Mueller gun theft. So everything is really unraveling for these brothers. Now the brothers are scrambling because their buddy Shawn Michael Haynes and Farron Lovelace have been arrested and they know everything that the family has done and everything that the family was planning. And what the brothers did not know was that Sean Haynes was a paid FBI informant who provided information regarding Klan activities. So they were really in the shitter right now. In January 1997, the Kehoe brothers and their families moved again to a campground near Frankford, Ohio. And during the move, the pair offloaded their guns, their stolen guns, as much as they could. A month later, on February fifteenth, 1997, police made a routine traffic stop on Cheyenne Kehoe. So as we know, the Kehos are insane and do not believe in government agencies. And so Cheyenne fired at the police, and a shootout was captured on a patrol car video camera, and then Chevy ended up shooting an innocent bystander in the firefight of it all. After everything was said and done, the authorities found the following in their possession. Heavy weapons, 4,000 rounds of ammunition, and FBI caps. So they're just really (laughs) finding everything because they're keeping it all, which is crazy to me. But they weren't going to go out without a fight as if the shootout wasn't enough they fled the scene and a nationwide manhunt ensued cheyenne ended up fleeing to utah and then chevy fled to colville washington but then he turned himself in and then cheyenne was shortly arrested as he was caught at a local feed store just going about his day and yeah they caught him right then and there Authorities wanted to get their whole gang as their gang related activities were terroristic in nature. So they went in search of neo Nazi skinhead John Cox, but they couldn't find him because the brothers were rumored to have murdered him because he was writing to friends about the Keyhole plans. So, like, this whole thing is just full of murder on murder, and they're just like turning on each other before you know government agencies get their hands on them
1: yeah it's kind of funny to me how he didn't turn himself in um I think he was in Utah he went all the way to Washington to do it um and I'm like why why would you pretend like you're running but you're really not right you know what I mean like yeah that makes no sense to me yeah and I thought they were anti-government
0: Yeah. So we're going to get into why they did it in a second. So authorities were not done with the brothers and their friends. They wanted their daddy to. On March 18th, 1998, Kirby was arrested in Springdale, Washington by federal agents. Here's what they confiscated when they arrested him. Hand grenades, machine guns, and ammunition. Kirby was already in trouble with the law, and this was just another nail on his coffin. When he was arrested, he had violated a judge's order to remain in Montana while facing charges of possessing a handgun stolen from the Mueller's, but of course he didn't listen. Chevy and Cheyenne Kehoe's mother contacted ATF agents herself, turning on her two kids. Some sources also state that Cheyenne actually turned on his brother as well as their mother did, because he was starting to fear him as well. He made threats to kill their parents to him. And he made threats to kill his own wife. And Chevy was talking about being sexually attracted towards his own brother's Cheyenne's wife on top of it all. So honestly, Chevy is a piece of shit. And he does not care if it's his you know, brother's wife, if it's his mother, if it's his friend, if it's his father, he was just gonna eliminate anybody that's in his way.
1: What was his main goal, though? Like, were we able to establish that yet?
0: I think that in the environment that they grew up with in, that they were living very remotely. So they were out in the wilderness, and they were very anti-government, as we discussed. Mm Mm-hmm. And they were really close to, you know, the KKK. And I think that being under so many bad influences just made him specifically very evil. I mean, Cheyenne was second uh, evil person in the story, but Chevy, I think, was almost rooted in it as a person. So naturally, I think that he was... This was just his life, I think. Like, I think he was born this way.
1: Okay, so just like, some are following in the in their footsteps, and some are just kind of, kind of evil.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking, you know, because there's the whole debate of nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. and I think that he for sure was nature.
1: So would you say that maybe he he like an ASPD type of situation? <laughs> oh, like antisocial personality disorder. Oh, yeah. Mm,
0: I think. Almost sociopath in his. Okay, so
1: like a clinically diagnosed psychopath.
0: Yeah, I think for him, for sure. I don't know about Cheyenne. I think that maybe it was just his environment and him just kind of like following in his brother's footsteps and just kind of like integrated in that life. But I think for Chevy, he was definitely should have been diagnosed at some point.
1: Yeah, okay.
0: So the information that their mother, The information their mother gave to authorities was the key to being able to arrest them. Not only did she turn her sons in, which if I had kids that kill people, I think I certainly would have done the same. And on top of the information that their mother gave, agents later recovered a compatible hand key or handcuff key from Chevy Kehoe's home that matched the handcuffs on the Mueller family. So. They don't believe in discarding any evidence. They keep everything, like you said, like a paper trail, which is just going to just bit them in the ass at the end of the day. So their mother was also the bombshell witness in their trial. So she just really wanted them to be like locked up because she feared for her life and all defendants Chevy, Cheyenne, Kirby, Daniel Lee, and Baron Lovelace were convicted in state and federal courts. Kirby Kehoe surprisingly pleaded guilty to weapons violations and received 44 months imprisonment. Cheyenne Kehoe got a sentence of 24 years on many charges, along with racketeering, Chevy Kehoe was charged with a laundry list of charges, which goes as felonious assault, attempted murder, carrying a concealed weapon related to, to a February 15, 1997 shootout in Wilmington, Ohio, with an Ohio State Highway Patrol trooper and a Clinton County Sheriff's deputy during a traffic stop resulting from expired tags on his 1977 Chevrolet Suburban and racketeering. Chevy was convicted of murder along with Daniel Lee. However, Daniel was on a triple homicide, which Chevy Kehoe getting like imprisonment and Daniel Lee getting the death penalty and then dying by lethal injection has caused a lot of controversy because Chevy was a mastermind behind everything and Daniel was one of his pawns carrying out his commands, and Daniel's the one who got the death penalty. Um, Farron Lovelace was also convicted of murder and sentenced to death. In court, it was argued that the Mueller family died because Daniel Lee was the monster that the Kehoe family unleashed upon them, that they were the puppeteers, and Daniel was the monster who murdered the family. Like I said before, he was just following orders and the Kehoe family was the the people that orchestrated everything. Ultimately, jurors took the metaphor seriously, along with Daniel's flare-ups in the courtroom and his criminal background that included a menacing nickname of Cyclops. Apparently, he got in a bar fight and lost an eye, so all of this worked against him and the jurors determined that he was too dangerous to... Be left alive. Also, the jurors were persuaded by their looks. Daniel had a Nazi tattoo on the side of his head. And the Kehoe brothers were not good looking by any means, but they weren't as aggressively looking as Daniel was. Like if you were to look at his mugshot, his eye is like bashed in, and he has a Nazi uh tattoo, and he just looks like trouble.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I can see Are his you? eye. Yeah, I, I'm on the FBI website. I can see it.
0: Yeah, isn't yeah. it? He looks creepy, doesn't he?
1: I think it's more of the tattoos that just gives it away yeah. as like him being a racist.
0: And when you look at the Kehoe brothers, they don't have any outward signs of that. So that played a really big role during uh, their court case. As of 2022, Chevy Kehoe remains at the United States Penitentiary in Terre Haute, and Cheyenne Kehoe was sentenced to 24 years, but it was reduced to 11 years because he turned his brother in. But old old habits die hard as Cheyenne, upon being released from prison, moved with his father Kirby from Washington to Arizona. And as many of you know, being a convicted felon means you can't own firearms. So what did Cheyenne and Kirby do? They stockpiled guns, of course. Cheyenne and his father Kirby were consequently arrested again in September of 2013 on federal firearm charges after a raid on their ranch in Arizona turned up dozens of weapons and thousands of rounds of ammunition, end quote. So there's a lot of things that I did not include for this case. Seriously, I just scratched the surface. So if you want to go on a deeper dive, my sources are going to be in the show notes. And they have a lot of information that I just couldn't fit into one single episode, unfortunately. And I can only take so much racism. So, (laughs) But that is the case of the Mueller murders, committed and plotted by the Kehoe brothers and their accomplices
1: I just don't see the death penalty as being, like, as being an equal, like, punishment. You know what I mean? Like, I don't see it as justice. I know other, there's two perspectives to it. I don't, especially, like, lethal injection, I just don't see it as justice. Um, I don't know what you think or what your perspective is, but I see so many cases where, they're pushing for the death penalty and i'm just like i don't really think that's going to give anyone justice like that's not going to allow the the criminals to reflect on themselves mm-hmm. and see that what they did was wrong that's just going to i guess wipe them out of society so i guess it depends on what your goal is you know what i mean
0: i do i definitely do because to me i think it's kind of an easy out for them um yeah that's
1: it, one of my main things with that
0: yeah And they don't have to sit there in prison where they're going to, you know, it's not pleasant in there, obviously. And um, just think about what they've done. And I know that prison doesn't offer a lot of rehabilitation, but in some prisons, they do offer like education and therapy and all that stuff. So, and a lot of them uh, do take advantage of that and reform. I'm not saying everybody does, but some people do. But I I know that sometimes people get released on accident and I know that sometimes people don't always complete their, their prison sentences and I would hate for people like the worst of the worst to be walking among us again. So I see where you're coming from and I totally understand that that's just like an easy way out for these people and that it's really not a consequence. But I also, maybe to the victim's family, if they think that it's justice and they think that it's fair, then I understand that as well.
1: Yeah, kind of like an eye for an eye. I get that. Yeah. Um, I also think like the plea bargain situation that happened where he was able to get a lesser sentence. hmm that, I also think, didn't make any sense because you're turning someone else in, but that doesn't reduce the severity of your crimes at all. Yeah. That just gives, I guess, law enforcement a way to arrest someone else. Yeah,
0: very But easily. I don't think
1: that should affect your sentence at all. You're just, I guess, snitching on someone or ratting them out. But I don't, I guess the government's kind of incentivizing it, being like, hey, if you rat someone out, we'll lessen your stay. Yeah. But I don't agree with that.
0: Yeah, I don't either, especially yeah. with- With his involvement as well, it wasn't like he was just a bystander. He was definitely very much involved. Mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much for joining me on this episode. I'm sure that we all need like a palate cleanser after this one because they're fucked up (laughs) (laughs) yeah but thank you so much aj i hope that we get to do more of these episodes in the future i had so much fun with you and i hope that our sinners will go listen to your episodes your podcast i'm gonna have your links and your socials in the show notes so make sure to go check out aj's podcast as well
1: likewise thank you so much for having me on thank
0: you AJ. it was an amazing
1: experience i loved recording with you
0: great thank you so much All the Sins Worldwide was written, recorded, edited, and produced by our co-hosts and creators, Jess and Mims. We truly want to thank our listeners, collaborators, friends, and family that continuously support us and for all the love we receive. If you enjoy our show, please give us a global review and rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see what we're up to. And email us your Sinner Tales at allthesinsworldwide at gmail.com. Episodes of All the Sins Worldwide are available wherever you listen to podcasts. So make sure to subscribe and like us on your favorite streaming platform.